Hi, my name is Norma Andrews. I'm a professor at the University of Maryland, and I'm delighted to be here to talk to you about a fascinating process, which is the mechanism by which cells repair wounds on their plasma membrane. So, what most people think when we talk about wound repair is this different but uh, also remarkable ability that all of us multicellular organisms have of repairing injury to our tissues. So, this is a complex multistage process that starts with formation of a clot, uh, and then this is followed by infiltration of inflammatory cells that uh, directly attack microbes that may have invaded, followed by extensive remodeling and cell proliferation that ultimately completely uh, heals the injury. So, what I want to talk about today is something uh, quite different. Uh, it is the ability that single cells have, uh, without the participation of any other cells in tissues, to uh, repair uh, injury to their plasma membrane. We can demonstrate this process easily in the lab with several experimental settings, and I'll show you one here. What we have here is a monolayer of uh, cells uh, that uh, shown by scanning electron microscopy. And a simple way to induce uh, wounds on the membrane of these cells is to drop glass beads over this culture. So, the impact of this bead uh, really causes a lot of damage. As illustrated here, we use the DNA dye to stain all the cells that remained attached to the surface. And you can see here that the site where the bead hit, uh, the cells were removed. And we followed this rapidly with a membrane impermeant dye, uh, in this case, uh, a red dextrin. And this dye cannot cross intact membranes. So, what this experiment immediately tells us is that the cells on the periphery of this wound got wounded and allowed entry of the dye. We can then come with a second uh, membrane impermeant dye, in this case, a green dextrin. And we can uh, change the timing uh, in which we add the second dye to see the process of repair. So, for example, in this first example here, uh, we waited 20 seconds between adding the red dye and then adding the green dye. And th this monolayer here was hit in two places by the beads. And we see here the, all the cells that got injured. And then, in just 20 seconds, we see that several of the cells were able to block entry of the second dye, uh, indicating that they were able to repair. And then, if we wait a little longer, one minute, for example, we can see that more cells in this culture were able to completely reseal their membrane. So, this kind of experiment really tells us a very important property of plasma membrane repair, which was also uh, observed in several different experiments in different labs, which is that repair occurs in a few seconds. And this is really quite important, because cells, to survive, they have to control the influx of calcium that is much more abundant outside cells than inside. And also, they cannot afford to keep losing critical factors from the cytosol. This also happens in vivo. And one of the tissues in which it is easier to demonstrate this is in skeletal muscle. So, these images here are from a study of Richard Lovering uh, at the University of Maryland Medical School. And uh, what uh, they did here was to use a green uh, dye to stain the sarcolemma, which is the plasma membrane of muscle fibers. And these are uh, uh, sections across th this muscle. So, we are seeing the outline of the fibers. And they injected into these rats a red membrane impermeant dye. 
and the, uh, what is demonstrated here is that when the animals are just kept in their normal resting condition, uh, uh, you don't see any entry of the dye, indicating that these fibers remained intact. But when the animals are made to exercise, specifically uh, to run uh, downhill on a treadmill, uh, you can see clearly that several fibers got injured, and this was caused by these lengthening contractions, which are known to cause uh, injury in muscle. Uh, uh, although a uh, mechanism of uh, plasma membrane repair has not been by far as widely studied as the mechanism of tissue repair, we have already, in the last decade, several very interesting examples in which specific proteins were identified and what is uh, uh, the common uh, feature between these studies is that uh, uh, all these proteins are necessary for plasma membrane repair, and mouse models in which mutations were introduced into these proteins, these animals developed muscle pathology. So, I have here uh, images from a study by Joe Roche, also at the University of Maryland Medical School, uh, uh, showing that wild-type animals, uh, when they uh, are subjected to this kind of contraction, they have very limited injury, and they restore this very effectively uh, with time. So when they did the same experiment with uh, uh, mice deficient in... Uh, that carried mutations in this protein, this furlan, uh, you can see a dramatic entry of the red dye, which indicates initial injury, and then, which I can show uh, closer in this uh, other slide, that while in wild-type animals uh, we see uh, the, the fibers normally uh, intact, uh, we see that uh, in the dysfunctional deficient mice, uh, after injury, there is a massive infiltration shown in blue of inflammatory cells that uh, can be seen clearly also up to 72 hours after the injury. So, this established an important concept, because for some time there was some discussion that might be the inflammation uh, of the muscle that was causing the injury. And in this study, Joe Rose showed that actually uh, uh, the injury precedes inflammation. And this is very interesting, because in recent years, exciting findings uh, have been happening in the field of immunology, which revealed the existence of a machinery inside cells uh, that uh, uh, detects uh, wounds on the plasma membrane. So, this injury to the membrane uh, can happen physiologically in many different ways, with toxins uh, inserted by uh, microbes, or directly with uh, mechanical or chemical uh, uh, injury. And what uh, has emerged is that there is a machinery that senses uh, changes, like, for example, efflux of potassium, which is an ion that is more abundant inside cells, as opposed to sodium that is present uh, inside... outside of cells. So, we have here uh, uh, an example of how cells really have adapted uh, their uh, innate immune response to recognize injury, and to trigger inflammation. So, how does this happen? So, how do cells really restore this remarkable structure that uh, is composed not only of a lipid bilayer, but also of transmembrane proteins, and also important links with the cytoskeleton inside the cells and the extracellular matrix outside? So, 
how cells do this is what we are interested in, and we uh, followed on the steps of really uh, very uh, interesting creative uh, experiments that were done in the past. Uh, the modern history of plasma membrane repair really started with the landmark studies of Heilbrunn and Chambers, in which they uh, were looking at the sea urchin eggs in seawater. And they noticed that when they injured the membrane of these eggs, they saw a surface reaction in which they saw a transient blabbing and rearrangement of the surface. And then these eggs uh, went back completely to normal, and they uh, were able even to be fertilized and developed. But just by removing calcium from the water, they saw that this uh, repair process did not happen, and these uh, eggs just uh, leaked and died. So, with these studies, a very important gold standard of plasma membrane repair was established. Uh, up to now, this is an absolute requirement. Uh, the presence of calcium outside of cells is required as a trigger for membrane repair. Then another important breakthrough happened uh, decades later in the 90s with the studies of Paul McNeil and Richard Steinhardt. Uh, in which they were directly looking at also sea urchin eggs and other cell types, in which they made very localized wounds on the membrane, and they saw that intracellular vesicles migrated to the wound site and fused with the plasma membrane. And this process was uh, occurred within the few seconds that the repair happens. And they then proposed this very important concept that exocytosis, that delivery of internal membranes to the cell surface, is a very important step for the resealing of the plasma membrane. Uh, this uh, is, uh, illustrates here a very elegant uh, study that Paul McNeil did, in which he compared directly uh, red blood cells, which are really filled with hemoglobin, and they don't have the internal membrane structures that the nucleated cells have, which is indicated here in this beautiful image by George Palladi. Uh, so, he compared side-by-side the ability of these two different cell types to respond to injury. And uh, he showed that in, in red blood cells, there is a very slow resealing. So, what we are seeing here in this green line is uh, the sequence... Uh, is the entry of a membrane impermeant dye into the cells that gets stabilized only after uh, a significant period of time. So, these cells remain leaky, and this is something that is known by people who have been working with preparing uh, erythrocyte ghosts, that they do reseal partially, but it takes time. And then, when in parallel, he did the same experiment, uh, looking at cells that uh, have this more complex structure, like fibroblast or epithelial cells, uh, he saw that there was a much faster resealing. Uh, you can see that the scale is different here. In a few seconds, these cells, in the presence of calcium in the green line, were able to stop uh, the influx of the dye, and this did not happen when calcium was not present. So, this study really settled this very interesting concept that endomembranes are required for repairing the plasma membrane. So, this is when uh, we really uh, got very interested in this process, because we were interested in the question, what is the nature of these vesicles that are present in most cell types and respond to calcium by fusing with the plasma membrane? So, th these vesicles would have to be present in every cell type, and they would have to rapidly respond to calcium influx. So, this uh, happened quite unexpectedly in my lab, when we were studying something uh, 
quite different, which was cell invasion by this parasite, Trypanosoma cruzi. So, T. cruzi, uh, uh, shown here, is this is the infected stage attached to the surface of a whole cell, and this is a parasite that invades cells, as you can see in this remarkable movie made by Erta Meyer back in the 40s. And this causes a serious disease in Latin America. Uh, so, this parasite can invade many different cell types, and it transforms intracellularly after replicating uh, back into the infective stage, which we are seeing here, this uh, highly multiform, that fills up the cells and then escapes from these cells to reinfect others. This uh, is a serious disease, and we were interested in understanding uh, what is the mechanism by which these infective stages uh, enter whole cells. So, uh, through these studies, we saw that uh, images made by Edith Robbins of the invasion process really don't look like phagocytosis. It looks like the parasite is diving into the cell. And the really surprising finding was when we stained these cells for markers for lysosomes. Here, antibodies against uh, abundant glycoprotein of lysosomes, lamp one we saw that the parasites, even when they were only partially into the cells, uh, they were already stained. There was a tight vacuum formed around the parasites that were stained with markers for lysosomes. So, this told us something uh, very uh, important. And we also found, through these studies, an important link with calcium. So, what is shown up here is uh, cells loaded with a calcium-sensitive dye, in which we are perfusing uh, parasites through the culture. And the infective stage of T. cruzi is able to trigger uh, a, a, a very strong elevation in intracellular calcium, which then promotes uh, a fusion of lysosomes with the plasma membrane and formation of a vacuole derived from lysosomal uh, membranes that the parasites use to invade, and then uh, later on they escape into the cytosome. So these studies uh, really uh, uh, allowed us to arrive at, at a very uh, novel and interesting concept. And this is really a, a great example of how you really should keep your eyes open, because this is not at all what we were planning to do. But when we saw lysosomes behaving this way, we uh, thought that it should be possible, then, if, if we thought uh, calcium was the trigger for this fusion of lysosomes with the plasma membrane, we should be able to remove the parasites from the picture and just manipulate the intracellular calcium concentration and see if we could make lysosomes, which were normally viewed as these terminal compartments of the endocytic pathway, to fuse with the plasma membrane. And this is exactly what happened. Uh, through these studies, we had the help of some great collaborators. One of them was Sandy Simon. This was the beginning of the era of the total internal reflection microscopy, which is really a very useful technique in which what is illuminated in these cells is just a very small field at the bottom of the cells, close to the cover slip. And intracellular vesicles labeled with a fluorescent dye, when they enter this evanescent field, they uh, become uh, progressively brighter, and it's possible to catch the mo moment of exocytosis. So, in this movie here, uh, uh, lysosomes were first loaded by endocytosis uh, with a, a fluorescent dextrin, and these puffs that you are seeing reflect the release of the dextrin when these cells were stimulated with a calcium aerophore. If you focus on this lysosome here, you can see that the moment in which it fused with the plasma membrane, uh, uh, showing directly that lysosomes can respond uh, to elevation in cytosolic calcium with exocytosis. Conventional lysosomes, this is a normal mouse fibroblast. 
so another important piece of information that came out of these uh, studies was the presence of a peripheral population of lysosomes. Because normally, right, when you look at cells and stain them for lysosomal markers and look by epifluorescence, what we see is a cluster of lysosomes in the central part of the cell. And this is really uh, very well known uh, due to movement of lysosomes back uh, in into the center of the cell uh, on microtubules. But what uh, this uh, turf microscopy technique allowed us to see is that cells also have a, a resident, a peripheral population of lysosomes that is already sitting close to the plasma membrane, ideally positioned to respond to elevations in calcium uh, with exocytosis. And uh, Jody Jaswell in Sandy Simon's lab quantified these fusion events. And we can see here, using three different ways to uh, elevate calcium in cells, a calcium ionophore or two physiological agonists, thrombin or bobesin. In the vast majority of cases, right, comparing the green with the blue columns, that the vast majority of fusion events detected uh, happened from that peripheral population. So there were very few examples of uh, lysosomes that were in the dark, uh, deeper into the cell, and enter uh, this population at the periphery. So this told us that there is a population of peripheral lysosomes uh, dedicated uh, for exocytosis or perhaps for other functions. And it's really quite gratifying that recently there have been several labs that have been uh, working out what is the molecular machinery that is retaining these lysosomes at the periphery. We then moved, of course, that we were interested in seeing if this phenomenon of lysosomal exocytosis uh, was related to those vesicles that Paul McNeil and Richard Steinhardt had shown to uh, promote plasma membrane repair. And uh, we found that this was the case. In this case here, what we have is an um, experiment in which this monolayer was scratched. And we see again using a red dextrin as a way to uh, label the injured cells. Uh, we, uh, we then came with antibodies against the, this lysosomal glycoprotein. And this was done with antibodies against the luminal domain, so that normally is not exposed on the surface. So these antibodies can only reach this uh, region of the protein if the lysosome first fused and exposed its luminal side outside. And we see that there's extensive label with these antibodies against the luminal domain of LAMP1 only on the cells that were wounded. So these cells that with the blue nuclei uh, uh, showed that they were not injured in the process and they did not uh, undergo lysosomal exocytosis. So over the years, we really investigated this process in detail and uh, we uh, found that uh, we could uh, manipulate the machinery, uh, the molecular machinery responsible for lysosomal exocytosis. And when we blocked this process of lysosomal exocytosis uh, triggered by a wound on the membrane, we could also uh, inhibit membrane repair. And uh, one of the uh, tools that we used for this process was a calcium sensor that we found on the membrane of lysosomes. Uh, I'll talk more about this in my second talk, but I would just like to mention here that what has emerged recently is that lysosomes themselves are also an important source of calcium. So there have been very interesting studies looking at the channels that mediate calcium release from lysosomes, like mucolipin-1, 
And uh, mice with mutations in these channels also develop uh, muscle uh, pathology, a form of muscular dystrophy. So, uh, again, this is what we would predict, that if you have abnormal uh, uh, response of lysosomes to calcium release, uh, you end up with muscle pathology, and probably the calcium inside of lysosomes is also very important for this process. So, what has really uh, uh, come together uh, uh, recently, so there was in the beginning quite a bit of skepticism, which is quite normal, uh, because lysosomes were supposed to be just these terminal uh, compartments of the endocytic pathway. But as you can see here from this figure from a recent review by Andrea Balabio, that lysosomes really recently have emerged as this really uh, important hub that are not only responsible for the degradation of material coming in by endocytosis, but also for degradation of material taken uh, up by autophagy, and also for communication with the nucleus in very important functions of sensing nutrients and regulating metabolism. And plasma membrane repair uh, seems uh, also uh, to be uh, one of the functions that maybe uh, this peripheral population of lysosomes in particular uh, is involved. So, a question that I get very often uh, when I talk about this is why lysosomes, right? So, why use such a dangerous compartment full of these degradative enzymes for plasma membrane repair? So, thinking about this, and we actually had uh, real experiments that we did uh, to test this hypothesis, uh, is that we have to think that nucleated cells co-evolved with bacteria for millions of years. And bacteria produce an arsenal of agents that wound the plasma membrane. For example, uh, the type 3 secretion needle or several other secretion systems that bacteria have that have been shown directly to puncture the membrane of, uh, of whole cells and uh, cause calcium influx. And, of course, there are many pore-forming toxins that I'm going to talk more about in my second talk. So, this process, uh, we know that when you have uh, influx of calcium, there is a response of lysosomal exocytosis. So, what we say is that we believe that uh, using lysosomes for this response to injury, since the injury in the early days of the evolution of complex cells was probably caused by bacteria, uh, this provided a selective advantage, because at the same time that the cell was receiving its membrane, it might be destroying the microbes that was, were causing the injury. And this concept we find very interesting, because uh, our immune system uh, has a very important cell type, the cytotoxic lymphocyte, that's shown here in this beautiful image by Gillian Griffiths, uh, in which, in red, are the secretory lysosomes, which are these lysosomes that have been modified in these cells to contain specialized proteins that are secreted in a polarized fashion into target cells and uh, are used to kill uh, infected cells and tumor cells extensively uh, in our immune responses. So, we really like this idea that uh, uh, using lysosomes for plasma membrane repair is coupled to the defense function of lysosomes that has been maintained in our immune system. Uh, so, uh, what I'm going to do in my second part is to discuss how uh, lysosomal exocytosis would repair the plasma membrane. I have discussed with you why we think this was a good idea, but in my second lecture, uh, I will tell you about uh, another series of very surprising findings we made along the way, in which we found that the exocytosis of lysosomes 
is followed by an endocytic response that the enzymes released by lysosomes can trigger a process of membrane invagination that can carry lesions into the cells, and that this uh, would be a way that the cells remove the lesions. So, quite an unexpected uh, way that I will be happy to discuss with you. So, I would just like to stop here, but before that, I must acknowledge uh, some very talented uh, people uh, in my lab and also as collaborators that I mentioned the work they did. Thank you.